Hey, you are listening to a Sunday morning sermon from Seven Mile Road. We are a gospel-centered church just north of Boston, Mass. To learn more about who we are and what we are going for together, just go to sevenmilemelrose.com. So again, Merry Christmas, and thank you so much for gathering with us today. It is always, always an absolute joy to gather with the people of God. So to sing, to pray, to open his word, and to hear from him. So thanks for doing that. So I know of two times in my life when I've had an emotional reaction to art. The first was when all the lights on the Griswold home lit up for the first time in Christmas vacation. You know what I'm talking about? Right? It really happened. Then it didn't. Then it happened. Then it didn't. What a roller coaster, right? Gets me every time. It doesn't really, but some of you are actually going to leave here thinking that about me, so whatever. Um, The second is when I stood before Veronese's painting of the wedding at Cana. So this painting is enormous in size. It's over 10 yards wide. They say it in meters, but I'm going to say yards because, you know. It's over 10 yards wide, and it's six yards tall, and it hangs on a wall opposite the Mona Lisa at the Louvre. And this painting depicts the scene of Jesus' first miracle from John chapter 2, where he turns water into wine at the marriage feast. It's the wedding of Cana. Jesus is there. They're out of wine. He turns this water into the best wine they've ever had. And it's this, it's this beautiful, huge painting. And if you knew a ton about art, which obviously I don't, because I led by saying it's really big, right? Obviously, I don't know. But if you did, you would be excited about the things like the architecture that's represented in there. Um, you might be excited because the people that are present in the picture were historical and political figures that had nothing to do with the biblical scene. They just painted them in there. Um, or maybe you'd be excited about the Mannerist style. But that's not what got me. What got me was the dogs. It was the dogs hanging out around the table as the people ate. As Jesus performed the miracle, there's, there's dogs. I think there's four of them, maybe a fifth. My mom recently told me she thinks it's a cat, the fifth one. I don't, I don't think it's a cat. Jesus wouldn't eat with a, a cat around. Um, but, but Jesus is doing miracles, and people are eating, and there are these, these dogs just chilling. And it catches you off guard when you stop and think about it for a moment. Because as I stood there looking at this painting, I realized in a fresh, deeper way than ever before that Jesus, the long-promised Savior, that Jesus, the Son of God, that Jesus, the God who has not only come and lived a perfect life, obedient before God, saying yes to everything he needed to say yes to and no to everything he should say no to, that, that Jesus, this God who went to the cross and bled and died, for my sins and to do the same for you. That this Jesus, the God who was raised on the third day and appeared to many before he ascended to his rightful place alongside God, the Father in heaven. That this Jesus, the God who sent his spirit to awaken my dead heart so that I could believe and be counted righteous in him. That this Jesus, this God, who will return one day and put away all sin, all tears, all death and all pain and live forever with his people. It was then somehow in that moment that when I saw the stinking dogs around the table that I realized more than ever that Jesus, 
the one who fulfills all the promises, really came into this world with all of its edges and all of its dirt and all of its filth and all of its sin. I realized then in a deeper way that Jesus really stepped into all of our mess. He just did. I realized in a deeper way that Jesus came to save us and didn't shy away from any of the ugliness. He did not shy away from one bit of the ugliness. So now on this Christmas Eve, let's spend just a little bit of time considering that reality. That there was a day, that there was a place, that there was a time that Jesus, that the Son of God was actually born into this world. We, let's read Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to her firstborn son. That's the first part of, of Luke 2, 7. She gave birth to Mary, to her firstborn son. Jesus is actually here. That's what this is saying. He's actually here. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son. And there's two things we should notice from this. First, this means that Jesus came in the flesh, which is the point I'm making that I was so, it's so hard for me to understand that reality because we read the pages, right? Like our kids color the pictures. We hear about it, but it's so hard to realize it, that he came in the flesh. The son of God came as a baby. He breathed air like we breathe. He slept He cried, he ate, I bet he was adorable. Maybe not, but I bet. But he was actually here. And then secondly, let's note that Luke saw Jesus. It says Jesus was the firstborn son. We've been told in this narrative that Mary was a virgin. So we'd guess that he was the firstborn son. That's how it works. But... But firstborn is bigger than talking about Mary's children. Jesus is her firstborn, but he's more than that. As one writer writes, the birth of Jesus is more than a reproductive event. It's the fulfillment of a divine promise. Now, we've been talking about that over the last four weeks in our Advent series, Fulfilled, in Matthew 1 and 2. But here we don't need, to, we can't miss it. He's not only, Jesus is not only older than his brothers. He is older than his brothers. But firstborn quickly becomes about who he is as the Christ more than who he is as the oldest son there. See, Paul will write about Jesus in Colossians 1, 15 later on. And he, he says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. See, Jesus is the true son of God. And he's actually here. Mary gave birth to her firstborn son, Jesus. We're going to continue in Luke 2, 7. She wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. Mary wrapped the son of God in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room, no place for them in the inn. Now, these inns were not great. You wouldn't try to get platinum elite status at the inn in Bethlehem. Like you just wouldn't. Um, most of the first century inns were, were a pretty tough scene with wild characters and wild stuff that went on there. 
And what's ironic about this is that if anyone should have been born in a palace, it was Jesus. If anyone deserved gates and security details and staff with the best doctors in the world, it was Jesus. Yet even in his birth, even in his birth, Jesus did not receive the normal comfort others enjoy. See, the inn that was full, that inn was for the poor people that didn't have another place to stay. It was not for those who were on a relaxing vacation and might upgrade to a suite. That's not what was going on at that inn. That's not what those inns were about. There were no suites there. And that not so great inn was the very place that Jesus and his family were rejected from. That's why it's a profound point that there was no room for them in the inn. Charles Spurgeon said, the king of men who was born in Bethlehem was not exempted in his infancy from the common calamities of the poor. Nay, which I think means no, his lot was even worse than theirs. See, even at his birth, from these first moments of his life, what we see is Christ being rejected. Luke wants us to see here that Christ was born into the humblest of surroundings. The reality is he wasn't born in a palace. He was born in a cave or a stable or or some kind of house that was so poor that the animals lived under the same roof as the people. The king was born where animals live and laid in a feed trough. This is the son of God we're talking about. And Luke is trying to help us see right here again, that in these earliest moments, what Jesus gets is not what Jesus deserves. Even in his early moments, Jesus gets what I deserve, not what he does. You see this? That the one who left heaven and born a child, yet a king, deserves the best and brightest throne. But he gets rejection. He gets a stable. He gets a feeding trough. And that is somehow the best news ever for you and for me. You see, the, the bookends of, of Jesus' life are so humble. Laid in a manger as a baby and hung on a cross as a man to save his people from their sins. Though he didn't deserve it, he laid all of his glory to the side and stepped into the world all of the world's extremities to serve us, to save us, to not only invite us into his kingdom, but to make a way that we could actually get there. So just in the last couple moments of this, I just want to ask this Christmas, will you see with me that this Jesus has come to rescue you? No matter where you are, no matter what you've done, no matter how lonely you are or how forgotten you may feel, no matter how bad you think things are, you are not too far away from this Christ who has come to save you and in whose first earthly throne room was this manger, was this stable. You're not too far away from this Christ 
who's come to save. Because he came not just to the earth, he did that, but he came in this manger. Not a palace where it would be hard for us to get near him. He came in a manger. So over this next, these next hours and days as we're thinking about the coming of Christ, let's look at him in that manger and realize that he's not a God disconnected from the realities of this world. He's just not. He's not unable to sympathize with your condition. He's not unfamiliar with your poverty, whatever that may be. He's not unfamiliar with your suffering. He's not unfamiliar with your burdens. He's not unfamiliar with rejection. Born a child, yet a king. Jesus is actually here and he's for you. He stepped into this world and all that hurt to save his people from his sins, to save me from my sins, save you from your sins. He's here so that all the brokenness that you and I see and feel and breathe will be put away forever. So let's see Jesus in that manger and run to him. He came humbly in a manger so that you'd come humbly to him. He came humbly in a manger so that you'd come humbly to him. There's no security gate between you and Jesus because he came in that manger. There's no guard checking IDs between you and Jesus because he came in that manger. See the approachable Christ in that humble manger and to believe him. Let's run to him. Jesus is actually here and he's for us. So in all of our celebrating, and let's do a ton of celebrating because all this is true. We, we, we got to celebrate. But as we celebrate, Let's worship him well.